sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. Our subject today, a very interesting one, is about false prophets and their influence in the last election. And I just have to start this discussion by reading from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 21, beginning in verse 20. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that's the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. Pretty clear how we identify a false prophet. Okay, then. Our guest today, Peter Montgomery, is Senior Fellow at People for the American Way and has been uh, paying attention to what the Christian prophets have been saying and doing with regards to our politics, for sure. Peter, welcome to Freedom's Ring. Thanks so much for having me on. So talk to us about the extent of prophets and their activity in respect to the recent presidential election. Sure. In the lead up to the 2020 election, there were quite a few people from the Pentecostal movement in Christianity who consider themselves modern day prophets and apostles with the powers that had been granted to those offices in the days of the, of the Bible. And many of them prophesied repeatedly that Trump was God's anointed, that God's assignment for him was not finished, and so therefore he would win re-election. When you say quite a few, do you have a sense of, a clear sense of just how many we're talking about and how widespread was their audience and their influence? You know, I don't know if I can put a number on the number of prophets because the universe is so large and the amount of monitoring of that we're able to do is, is always limited to a segment of it. But I will say that there were major Christian media platforms like Charisma, which is a multimedia platform with an audience that is mostly uh, Pentecostal Christians, devoted a lot of time to promoting the prophecies about Trump. Uh, Charisma is also a publishing house, published books about uh, Trump and his role in, in fulfilling prophecy. There were major events on the National Mall, uh, both before and after the election, which were broadcast on uh, right-wing media, as well as Christian media, that featured uh, these prophets and other pundits like uh, Eric Metaxas, who's a well-known Christian pundit who's very much been um, promoting this line that the Trump was God's anointed and that the fact that he is not in office now is proof that the election was stolen and was illegitimate. You know, and one of the things that I was thinking as you're saying this, Peter, is it's not just within the Anglo-American community, within the white community. I have a former client of mine who is an immigrant from Vietnam, and she's quite adamant that she's a prophet. And I'm on her email list, and, you know, she was of the same ilk, proclaiming, 
Trump is God's anointed, et cetera. And, you know, and frankly, listeners, my point in having this conversation is not first and foremost political. Our show is devoted to religious freedom issues of, of church and state engagement. And this is a phenomenon that bears understanding, you know, the extent to which religious claims that at a minimum cannot be proven then have a profound influence on people's voting behavior, on, on our political life together. And when I say profound influence, Peter, you tell me, you're the researcher, how much of an influence you've cited various major media sources. Uh, what kind of influence do you think that these prophets had in shaping the attitudes and the voting patterns of American Christians? Well, I would say that religious right in general, which is a broader designation than the prophets were talking about, you know, conservative evangelical leaders were, you know, completely part of Donald Trump's coalition, had unprecedented access to the White House. And so they were all working very hard to get him reelected. I think that um, where the prophets that were talking about uh, sort of went even further um, and this was true of evangelical leaders, you know, beyond just um, people who call themselves prophets, you know, in telling voters that it was God's will that Trump would be uh, returned to power, that then when Trump lost the election, there were a lot of incentives for the prophets and other religious right leaders to deny that Trump had lost and to join in Trump's claims and in the claims of the Stop the Steal movement you know, in spreading a lot of lies about how the election turned out and whether it was stolen from Trump. And that, I wrote an article in the American Prospect magazine, you know, saying that religious right rhetoric helped create the anger that led to the violence on January 6th at the U.S. Capitol. And I firmly believe that. Well, and in, even in the aftermath of January 6th, the complete divisiveness of our national political life and the kind of obstructionist politics that we see where, you know, the Republicans are determined to just block anything that the Democrats want to do, regardless of whether it, you know, from their standpoint would be good or bad, just for political reasons, um, I think is fueled by this whole notion, well, you know, it was God, and I mean, there's at least this element to it, that it was God's will that Trump be the president not Biden. And it seems to me that it has cast uh, this shadow over our national political life. I really think you're right. And I think there's a, there's a broader way to talk about this too, which is that um, portraying every political struggle as an example of spiritual warfare, as a conflict between good and evil, the angelic forces and Satan's demons. I mean, we saw a lot of that rhetoric around the Trump administration and the election. And I think that's really poisonous for our political culture, because if you believe and you say publicly and you tell your supporters that your opponents are not just wrong politically, but that they are enemies of God and agents of Satan, well, then how are you going to turn around and, you know, negotiate with those people in good faith? How are you going to reach the compromises that are necessary to governing in a democratic society if you have, uh, you know, created this duality that uh, you on your political side of the uh, equation are aligned with God and his angels 
and that your political opponents are agents of Satan. And that rhetoric goes hand in hand with the kind of um, rhetoric that we heard from uh, the Dominionist uh, prophets and apostles and are to continuing to hear to this day. I will say many of them are continuing to assert that somehow um, God will intervene and put Trump back in power before the next election. You know, I'm smiling as I listen to you because, you know, my day job is representing workers who are fired for their faith. And oftentimes, plaintiff's lawyers and defense lawyers are, are really quite antagonistic to one another. You know, and even, you know, we'll stoop to uh, pretending that the other one has horns and a tail kind of thing, you know. But, you know, when we think about Congress, these are folks that really do have relationships and, you know, have a lot of potential to disagree without being disagreeable and to find ways of working together. And famously, you know, in our lifetimes, very liberal Massachusetts Senator Ted Kennedy and very conservative Republican Senator Orrin Hatch from Utah found common ground repeatedly and, you know, collaborated in some of the most significant pieces of legislation to be passed in our lifetime. But those days seem far beyond us. But I'm wondering, in terms of the prophets, so they're all saying that Trump is going to get reelected, you know, divinely chosen, some of them even comparing him to Cyrus of old, you know, who's going to deliver God's people and, uh, you know, as in Bible times, the Persian Empire restoring the Jews back to their homeland in Israel. Um, did any or many of them repent after Trump was not reelected and admit in some sense that they were wrong or that they were misled or, you know, that they've done, you know, made a mistake? Yes, there were a few people who showed some humility, who said, well, I got it wrong and apologized to their supporters for doing so. But I would say, um, you know, just from the universe of people that I'm familiar with, the, that is a minority and that um, many of them have doubled down or have just, you know, said that uh, Biden may be president, but he's illegitimate. And so um, their prediction was that Trump was going to win the election and Trump really did win the election. So they weren't uh, a false prophet after all. And, you know, some of the some of the guys who are really uh, hanging on to this insistence are they're clearly getting tired of being portrayed as false prophets because they're very angry about that. So they're, you know, on their their videos that they're streaming out there, denouncing their critics and saying, you know, God is going to punish you for um, for criticizing his prophets. And that, you know, and, and some of them have even said that God has to put Trump in back in office to help the prophets save face. So because if he doesn't, if God doesn't put Trump back in office, it'll make people doubt the prophets. So that's a, that's one of the arguments that we're hearing out there now. Well, I, for one, uh, am doubting the prophets. And, uh, oh, well, how do you see this? You know, do you think this is going to be, I mean, I know, you know, you are not a prophet and you don't have a crystal ball, neither do I. But where do you see this going in the future? Well, I think there are a couple things going on are related. You know, one, as I mentioned, is that, um, you know, the tendency among some conservative Christian leaders and media to to really portray every political issue and struggle as a 
you know, conflict in the heavenlies between good and evil. And, and I think that's, I think that's poisonous and destructive for our political culture and, and for, you know, having democratic institutions that people can trust, whether they're conservative or liberal. Um, and I think it's going hand in hand with a tendency among a lot of um, politically conservative uh, religious right activists and leaders just embrace a more overt Christian nationalism. And just this is a Christian nation. It always was. It's meant to be. And I think that is also a dangerous and harmful step. And then I think, you know, at the at the really hard edges, portraying opponents as demonic agents of evil who stole the election from Trump, I think that kind of rhetoric can lead to more violence. You know, it's not just what happened on January 6th. There are people out there preparing for and calling for civil war and, you know, using religious rhetoric to do that. I mean, one of the things that I noted that the morning after the insurrection at the Capitol, there was a, a Christian television network that had a morning news program featuring a, a right-wing activist named John Guandolo, and he was telling viewers that the, the rioters at the Capitol had showed restraint by not executing the traitors in Congress. So that's, that's a particularly you know, harsh example of what some listeners to Christian media were hearing around the Capitol and some of the kind of rhetoric that they're still hearing today. That's very troubling. We've been talking with Peter Montgomery, Senior Fellow at People for the American Way, about false prophets and their role in the presidential election. As we close, remember, at Freedom Spring, we don't just talk about religious freedom. We help workers suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org. That's churchstate.org. And don't forget, friends, freedom is not free. Be informed. Get involved. Join the North American Religious Liberty Association, producer of Freedom's Ring, at religiousliberty.info. And be sure to listen to Freedom's Ring on our SoundCloud radio station or iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Rennock. Until next week, let freedom ring.